0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're happy about that. But Genesis chapter number two, I'm going to try to pick up where I left off two weeks ago. I was talking about the design of marriage a couple of weeks ago and i'm going to try to pick up where i left off and i might just do a just a, a real quick review where we ended at so that we can go from there since we didn't have service last week and again in talking about marriage i understand marriage can can be a very sensitive issue of ever all the peripheral things that involve uh, marriage or that uh, you know happens in life everybody has circumstances and issues and things that may have happened, and and I want you to know that I'm I'm cautious of that today. Uh, But uh, with that being said, I'm just going to try to be with the word of the Lord, and I'm not trying to do an injustice to anybody or any circumstance that they may have had in their life, but I do believe it's good uh, to periodically just go back to the word and see what it says. Uh, And so that's what we're going to try to continue to do here this morning. Genesis chapter number 2. And starting with verse number 18 today, the Bible says the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Again, this is the design of marriage, kind of a part two here, the design of marriage. Let's ask God to help us once again, if you will, this morning. Jesus touches today. God, every mind, every heart and soul. I pray, God, help me, Jesus, with, uh, Lord, diplomacy, Jesus, this morning. Be able to share the word of the Lord and what scripture speaks God on several facets God concerning uh, the institution Lord marriage God this covenant I pray God that is holy this covenant that is sacred I pray oh Lord help us to lean in Lord with our hearts and minds to see God what you would want Jesus us to learn or to hear or to know I know God that you're able to help us I know God that you're able to direct us God in the next few moments Lord Jesus here today and we'll thank you for it in Jesus name that we Pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated. So, a couple of weeks ago, we closed uh, the design of marriage, speaking about the, the design of marriage uh, concerning this leave and cleave principle that uh, scripture represents in verse 24 of Genesis 2. That leave and cleave principle. And uh, just as a point of interest, you know, a lot of times, again, we may mention two weeks ago, Adam didn't have, uh, you know, that that mother-in-law factor uh, that was in his life. But uh, with that also being said, he didn't have a mother and father as well. And yet scripture still denotes and tells us that a man should leave his father and his mother. And God gave that principle when the first man didn't even have a father and a mother. But he said it should leave a father and a mother. He didn't have no parents, but God undoubtedly here again, since he didn't have one, must be establishing a principle upon which to base all uh, the future marriages that would happen in life. A a married man and a a married wife have far more responsibilities to their spouse than they do to their parents. Or at least should have. Amen. Far more responsibilities to their spouse than they should to their parents. And I'm not saying that we disregard our parents. I think you all uh, would know me better enough uh, to, to, to know that. It's not that we disregard them, uh, but if you're still spending more time with mom and dad than you are your spouse, that could you know, be posing a problem. Uh, But nevertheless, it it says to to cleave, or the word means to cling to, to adhere, basically glued together, as we looked at a couple weeks ago. Uh, It goes beyond just the physical union that that consummates a marriage, but it is also that being glued together, it's an emotional one. And a lot of times what we don't even consider, it is a spiritual one, a spiritual union. That's the reason why uh, several, several now, weeks ago, or maybe months or years, however long it's been, on Wednesday nights whenever I did a series on the criteria of finding a mate, I emphasized that you need to find somebody that is spiritually compatible. and We have biblical princip- uh, a premise for that because whenever you join together, there's going to be a spiritual union just as much as a physical and emotional one as well. The Bible states in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 6, wherefore uh, they are no more twain but one flesh what therefore God hath joined together let not man put asunder Uh, we spoke again and this is just a little review but whenever marriage is dissolved by anything but death you cannot get a clean break uh, from what is per se glued together or clung together Uh, and whenever you do not get a, a clean break Any future relationship that you might have or things that are started uh, might start off just a little bit more difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying uh, the risk and the the level of difficulty might be a little bit harder because you have fragments of a previous relationship that you're trying to bind or cling or glue together then with the next relationship. But whenever it's dissolved by death, which was ordained by God, God is doing the breaking. And whenever God does the breaking of that union, then he, if he can make a clean glue uh, with that marriage to begin with, I guarantee he can make a clean break. And so God does that. And I I said in this, and statistically, so I grabbed him, so I wouldn't just say, well, statistically, you know, as you go in relationships, first, second, third, and fourth marriages, they just gradually, uh, the the chance of them failing increases. And according to the statistics of of 2012, uh, 40% then of first marriages failed, 60% of second marriages failed, 73% of third marriages failed. And so... what you're doing, you're taking all those fragments of previous relationships and you're putting them together then with the next one. And so you don't get quite the bond that you should have, amen, from the previous one. But whenever the marriage is dissolved by death, again, God is putting asunder. And he can split you apart at death with a clean break. Why not? He's God. Amen. He's God. The Bible says they shall be one flesh. They shall be one flesh he speaks this in the Old Testament he reaffirms this in the New Testament and Jesus is in the process in the New Testament he's answering a question about uh, a question that was posed to him about whether or not it was lawful for a man to put away his wife or to divorce his wife for every cause the scripture said Said, said, can a man put away his wife for every cause or any cause? And so as he's answering this question, amen, he, he goes back to the beginning for the response to the question in the New Testament. He goes back to the place of origin of marriage back in the book of Genesis, and he begins right there with God's original design. Of marriage. And he says then in Matthew 19 and verse 4, and he says, And he answered and said unto them, those that posed this question, Have ye not read that which made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, there's the leave cleave principle again, and shall cleave to his wife. And I just want to just pause for a moment and underscore just for us. It's the leaving. If you do any leaving and cleaving, you're doing it for your wife. You're not cleaving to the girlfriend, to the live-in. Any cleaving or one unionness that's taken place emotionally, spiritually, and physically should only happen with the wife or the husband. All right, so uh, uh, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be; they sh- twain shall be one flesh. And so here it is in Genesis, and also in Matthew, is the fact that a man cleaves or adheres to, or clings to, or is glued to, if you will, physically, emotionally, spiritually, to his wife. Amen. Uh, again, it's not just done for anybody; it's for the person that you're married to. The leave and cleave is for the person that you're married to. And so this one flesh aspect in Scripture, the one flesh aspect of the first family, uh, it encompasses a physical union. I mean, that, that, that I think would probably go about same, but we'll say it. The one flesh aspect in the book of Genesis for Adam and Eve does encompass a physical union, a sexual relationship, if you will. But it's further defined in the New Testament. It's further defined in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 16, the Bible says, What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Note that he which is joined to an harlot is one body. The word joined right here gets its definition purely from the context that it is set in A harlot, uh, a harlot, from my understanding, gives her body for sexual uses. All right, harlot gives her body for sexual uses. The word "joined" in the Greek means to glue, to stick, to cleave, to seek intimate contact, to press oneself on someone, or to fasten together. What we're talking about, Bishop, is we're talking about a physical sexual aspect here with the word joined within the context of harlotry. But God then parallels all this, that a sexual act between two people is initiating that one flesh scenario. He says this one that is joined to a harlot, these two become one." And so the one, the one flesh scenario, the initiating of that one flesh scenario, amen, is that sexual act, that, that consummation of marriage that is a physical relationship with that individual. Amen. And it was ordained from the very beginning by God, but only in the context of marriage. That's what I want to get at. That one flesh, two becoming one, was, was satisfied, granted, ordained by God, but only within the context of marriage. As a matter of fact, in those days and in that culture, the consummation, if you will, the seal, the headstone for marriage was the marriage bed. In other words, it was the capstone of marriage, the seal of marriage. When sex or physical uh, intercourse was entered into That sealed a marriage. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says in Hebrews 13 and verse 4, Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. If you'll allow me just to read that out of a couple different translations and it won't be before you today. But the Amplified says it like this. Let marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy, precious, and of great price, especially dear in all things. And thus let the marriage bed be undefiled, kept undishonored, for God will judge and punish the unchaste, all guilty of sexual vice and adulteress. The complete Jewish Bible reads it like this: marriage is honorable in every respect. And in particular, sex within marriage is pure. But God will indeed punish fornicators and adulterers again the bed the marriage bed is undefiled in the context of marriage but outside of that context of marriage the bed is defiled Mm -hmm. well in other words whenever there is any type of physical activity outside of the marriage bed the bed is defiled sex before marriage is defiled sex with another married partner is defiled amen Well, I know we're talking about this on a Sunday morning, not supposed to talk about this. We do around here. Amen. Uh, Physical intimacy is just for marriage exclusively. And marriage is for physical intimacy. It's not just casual recreation. It's just not a way for someone to express themselves and their love. It's the question of two people that's becoming one flesh. Because see, physical union, physical intimacy in the eyes of God, was the seal of marriage. Mm-hmm. If two people had physical intercourse in, in the eyes of God, those two people were married. Uh-huh? Even in the Old Testament times, listen to me very clearly, in the Old Testament times when a male and a female entered into a sexual relationship outside of the covenant of marriage, something had to be done about that. The Bible, Exodus 22 and verse 16, the Bible says, and if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed, she's not engaged for marriage, and lie with her, and that's exactly what you think it is, (laughs) he shall surely endow her to be his wife. If her father utterly refused to give her unto him, he, this man that was laid with this woman, shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. This passage, what this is talking about, is an unmarried male and an unmarried female, unengaged male, unengaged female, having, if you will, consensual, what they call today consensual or even casual, (laughs) sex with each other that's unmarried, and the Bible says that if this happens that that man shall surely endow her to be his wife and if the father's kind of against all this he's still got to pay the dowry money if he must and must pay the dowry money the same it was still going to cost him however much it would cost him if she was his wife why because in the eyes of God when those two become one through a physical union they were married Boy, there'd be a lot of marriages today. In the eyes of God. That's the reason why there's a lot of marriage beds that's defiled before there's ever a covenant of marriage made. Because people already in the eyes of God have become married through their physical unions. However, the, the other condition is this. If the father refuses to give her to be his wife, so the man must still pay the dowry money. It's going to, it's going to cost that man something nonetheless. <laughs> Maybe we need to reenact that. Can we get that going in, in, in the state of Illinois? Reenact that, that you're still going to have to pay something and there's, it's going to cost you something. Well, it does cost them something. It might not be monetary means. And in some respects, it could be that too before it's all said and done. But uh, it's still going to cost him something. But, but primarily, the idea is this. He's got to pay the price and marry her. God says, he says, if these are two people that are not married and they have, they have some type of physical activity, he says he needs to make her his wife. Why? Because that type of activity should only take place in the covenant of marriage. Right. Yes. Amen. That's part of the original design. That's for marriage. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 28, if a man find a damsel, this is just kind of another occurrence, if a man find a damsel, Deuteronomy 22 28, that is a virgin which is not betrothed, and lay hold on her, and lie with her, and they be found. Then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be again, look, his wife, because he hath Humbled her, he may not put her away all his days. You want to talk about raising the stakes. So we got here two unmarried people. Uh, they have they have a, a physical activity with each other, and evidently it must have been considered sensual. The Bible says they be found. It was kinda like under the rug, but somebody found out. It says if this happens, then that guy should make this this girl his wife, and he's got to pay the money. But it also says, but he cannot put her away all the days of his life. He can't divorce her. Amen. Consensual, premarital instance of having sexual relationships before marriage. They were found, they were discovered, and the solution, God says, for this is this. Pay the dowry, marry the girl, because that activity, again, should only be for the covenant of marriage. Bible says that he takes her virginity. Can't just come and go as he pleases. That act alone bound her and him to marriage. Amen. The design of marriage, yeah, for, for an emotional union, spiritual union, and yes, also a physical union. Again, this is just not something that is recreational. Notice from the very beginning, this whole idea of physical relationships between a man and a woman. Yeah, there is the pleasure that's in it, but there's another purpose that God had that was in that too. It was for procreation. It was for having children. It was for having offspring. One of the designs of marriage was for that man, Adam, and that woman, Eve, to be fruitful and to multiply procreation, to populate the earth. Amen. So it's not just there for recreation. It was there for procreation. It was there for... Both of those items. Yet today in our society uh, we have unsanctioned uh, physical relationships all the time and they've moved from their original design because now today's society are trying to lean further further away for it being for procreation. They just want it to be recreational. Amen. But physical relationships within marriage yes pleasurable it was designed by God to be that way and God wants men and women to enjoy that he gave that to them to enjoy within though the confines of marriage the song of Solomon and several other Bible passages even in Proverbs clearly describes that that was created no doubt for the man and the woman's pleasure amen however we must also understand that God's reason and God's intent for that Physical relationship was also for the purpose of producing children. Amen. For a couple to engage in physical relationships before marriage is doubly wrong, I could say. Because they are enjoying pleasure not intended for them. Amen. It was pleasure that's intended for a married couple. Amen. And not only that, they're taking a chance they're taking a chance when they're doing that outside the covenant of marriage they're taking a chance of creating a human life outside of the structure of having a real family that God intended for every child why, why God did you safeguard all this for marriage because I want there to be a man and woman that's bound to each other by a covenant that by virtue of whenever they have that relationship and it produces an offspring, there is a structure there for the child to grow and mature and be nurtured by a male and a female joined within a home. Amen. Did the, he, had, he, he just wasn't flippantly making choices and ideas. So I think i Keep that from them and give that to them. no, no, no. God doesn't just mindlessly do things like that, He has intent, He has purpose. He did it for the purpose that there would be a family structure there that would be there for that child, which was a part of that physical activity, procreation, and not just recreation. The psalmist said in Psalms 68 and 6, it's not up there, brother uh, Zach, but the Bible says that God setteth the solitary in families. God setteth the solitary in families. The word solitary there may be defined in the Hebrew as, as in a only child. In other words, that only child, God intended to be set in a family. But the importance is placed here that whether the child is one child or whether it's many children, God wants them in a family. Amen, if it's the only child, that child needs a family, a mother, a father within the confines of a marital relationship. Amen, am I waiting to, through too deep waters this morning? Amen, I know, I know and again, the, I don't have a, a, a sword to grind today. Amen, I'm just trying to go back to some of these, these biblical things and ideas that were first uh, originated in Genesis many times, amen, that God gave and shared with us in in our today's world the only reason i would say by and large sometimes this activity physical activity takes place outside of the covenant of marriage and is able to operate outside the degree of, of the covenant of marriage is because society has introduced and i understand they all have their proper place but has introduced these things called you know birth control and now we have this option of abortion see and so if the procreation part comes up that you have an offspring you can either prevent it or deal with it and we can keep the pleasure without having the responsibility because without if we didn't have birth control in the United States today and there was not the option of abortion I bet you there'd be fewer people fooling around I believe this physical activity would stay a little bit more so on the inside of the context of marriage and to be committed to it. Amen? Because if not, they might be having to raise some children. See, there's a line of thought that if a man and a woman can be committed to each other in marriage as a husband or as a wife, listen, then God through their physical union can trust them with a child. That if they can be committed to each other, see, this is the this was the design of God. I'm saving all this for the context of marriage, because if they didn't show me they can be committed to each other through marriage, then there, we have an increased probability that they can be committed into an offspring. Amen. Committed to an offspring. Amen. I can trust them with that. They can be committed to it, and the m- marriage is based. I go without saying, but marriage is based on commitment. Cannot be based upon feelings. Feelings are, man, like a buffet bar. <laughs> like a roller coaster. Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. Sometimes they're greasy, and sometimes they're dry. <laughs> they're like a buffet bar. Sometimes they're sweet, and sometimes they're sour. They're up and down, they're, you know, they're all over the place. Uh, so they, you, we can't base it upon feelings, they're based upon commitment. Uh, there was a woman, she, stayed, she said, what is, what is that sound? A woman visiting a, a nature center, she asked, and she the response was, "It's the frogs trilling for a mate." Patty, uh, the naturalist explained, "says we have a pair in the science room, but they've been together for so long they no longer sing to each other." The woman nodded sympathetically and said, "The trill is gone," <laughs> and I think that's a good synopsis sometimes of what happens to marriage: the trill is gone. Uh, trill, thrill, whatever you want to call it but it's not based upon feelings it's based upon commitment marriage needs a solid foundation that's based upon commitment for those times when the trill isn't there amen for those times when the trill is gone they say, uh, scientists say that during the first 18 months of a relationship that large amounts of dopamine that's a natural drug in your body Helps control the brain's reward and pleasure centers in your brain. That a large amounts of dopamine, dopamine in the first 18 months of relationship are injected in the brain. That's just a natural drug in your body. And so that whenever this happens, whenever you have those large amounts of dopamine in your brain and you're in that honeymoon phase, uh, you lose all objectivity. You're just there, man. It's like you're high on life. You're, you're drugged up inside, high on dopamine. Amen. And, and the <clears throat> things that may seem cute early on, uh, let those 18 months pass and your drug high go down. Those things that were cute early on then start maybe to get on your nerves later. I'm just being serious. Marriage is based upon commitment because you're not going to be drugged up like you was when you first got married. <laughs> your high is going to fade away somewhere along the way. And you're going to re reassess and get your sense of objectivity back again. And that little laugh that was cute or those little clothes that laid somewhere, that's all going to change. And it's going to start to get on your nerves and agitate you. And what's going to keep you then whenever you don't have your drug dopamine high in your system? Your commitment. Your commitment. I mean, you're, you're, you're drugged. I mean, you're literally intoxicated. <laughs> Say, honey, I love you as long as this dopamine is this dopamine just flooding through my veins. <sighs> as long as I'm intoxicated, I can love you, honey. You better have something whenever the intoxication leaves from that natural drug in your body to keep your marriage and your life together. And it's a drug, another drug. It's called commitment. It's called commitment. Because we know without doubt, each of you that sit here, that times of testing is going to come to every relationship. It's going to come to each and every marriage. We cannot, none of us escape that. Storms are inevitable. Sicknesses are going to happen health problems and unexpected bills and the list goes on and on and some of you could write them longer than I but there are all these different variables that are going to happen and what's that going to do that's going to cause stress on your marriage it's going to cause stress between you and the one that you love the most unplanned pregnancies even within a marriage you wasn't really expecting to have that child just two months after you know just a couple months after marriage you wasn't expecting to get pregnant going to have a child then nine months later uh, and a lot of things come up on that. You know, have a well-paying job, well-employment, and all of a sudden, man, that ceases, and you're unemployed. All these things, variables that act upon the marriage. And your feelings at those moments in times are plummeting. Right. And so you've got to have something else besides that in order to keep each other together. You're going to have to have a, a Commitment. Uh, just recently, my wife and I—I I just love whenever I hear this. And I'm—I'm not, I'm not been married for 50 years, okay? But I—I I am going on 17 years uh, this year being married. So I think that's a pretty good standard for today's society. And so we've been married for about 17 years. And my wife and I uh, were at a talk here recently—a kind of a little seminar that was put on by a college professor about the impact of habitual fighting within a home or habitual fighting particularly among parents the man and the woman the husband and wife how how that can have negative impacts upon your children And at the end of all this, he was fielding some questions and different ones. And my wife kind of started off, because you know how in place no one wants to ask a question. So my wife, she don't care about anything. And so she just makes a comment or a question just trying to get the ball rolling. And she did, buddy. She got her rolling. And we were sitting there, and he was fielding some questions. And... For me, 17 years into this thing called marriage, uh, I thought, I wonder how long they've been married. And, and, and the question was, a, mar- a mother started her statement, her question. I don't remember which it was, Brother Terry, and she said, she said, me and my husband, we never fight. And I thought you just lied straight through your teeth. I wonder how long, I wonder how long they've been married. I wonder how long... We never fight. And I'm thinking everybody else that's sitting on these bleachers that's been married for any point in time is thinking, fake, fake. We got us a a liar. Uh. And in the privacy of our own home, my wife and I got a real good laugh from that never. We never fight. Let me tell you, I've been married too long already for 17 years to deal with a never We fight. There's times we have arguments. There's times we have disagreements. But it doesn't make us want to go opposite directions and leave what we've established for the past 17 years and the two children that we have within our home. Uh, For that matter, dealt with my own marriage and too many other marriages and traveled and heard too many stories in other churches from pastors in their pulpits uh, to believe that there is a married couple on this green planet. That's never Now if that is taking place, somebody might be taking drugs. (laughs) They might be harvesting some real-time dopamine from somebody and injecting it. I don't know. But fighting isn't a marriage breaker. It's not a marriage breaker. It's going to happen. I would say that if it happens on a regular basis, matter of fact, this gentleman, I think he said that according to his standards, and this I, I couldn't m- misrepresent this. My wife may remember this better than I do. But he said that if there is very heated discussion that lasts for 15 minutes and more than three times a week, that you might need to consider looking into that. We fight less than what we did whenever we were first married. I'm serious, I mean... It doesn't happen very often, but there are still times every once in a while we got to put on the gloves. <laughs> now, you all think I'm just opening my life and thinking that we are just do all this stuff, but what I'm saying is exactly what you live through as well. There's times you have disagreements. They might, I'm not talking about... I don't want you to just go away and think, well, interpret fighting as yelling and screaming. You know, you can fight within some proper rules and regulations that don't involve yelling and screaming. You can be disagree- in a disagreement and disgruntled and have uh, differences of opinion and don't even have to raise your voice. But it could still, I would call it still a fight or an argument. All right? And so it, it isn't a marriage breaker. Arguments are natural. I mean, think about it. They're to be expected whenever you are melding two different lives from two different, maybe, uh, cultures or homes and trying to bring them together. It's like trying to bring two rivers down at two rivers together. Have you ever seen the waters kind of swirl and there's a little agitation? Why? You bring them two bodies of water together. And that's what happens whenever you bring your husband and your wife together. You bring them together. All right? And so it's to be expected, but it's strong commitments. But strong commitments that we make in our vows, strong commitments that we make in our lives that will aid us to work through the inevitable, the inevitable ups and downs, the inevitable fights, the disagreements, the arguments. It's our commitment to each other, and let me just throw in there just for a cherry on top, and our commitments to God. Our commitments to each other and our commitments to God that help us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse number 10, and unto the married... The apostle says, I command. Look what he he emphasizes here. Yet not I, but the Lord. This is just not me. This This is God speaking through me. He says, I command, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Paul is giving a commandment here to be to the married. He's given a commandment to the married. And and he then reassures, even as we do today, that, again, it's not my commandment. He says, but it's the Lord's commandment. He says, let not the wife depart, or if you will, divorce from her husband. Later, he says, let not the husband put away, or if you will, divorce his wife. Now listen, and although he's addressing the wife in, in this particular application, it's applicable for husband or wife, male or female. But, and if the wife divorces her husband, she should remain unmarried and should not marry again unless, of course, she is being reconciled to her husband. Or she shouldn't marry again unless she's being reconciled to the husband that she became divorced from. God's plain charge, though, through Paul, is if you are married, this is really what Paul's getting at. If you're married, stay married. That's what, that's what the Spirit of the Lord is really speaking through. If you're married, stay married. Now, I want to preface it before anybody gets I don't want anybody to get offended Paul is not discussing here in, in, in 1 Corinthians 7 Paul is not discussing the marriages compromised by adultery here you hear me? Paul is not discussing the subject matter of adultery here amen he is talking about divorce people considering divorce as a solution to every other problem or reason under the sun He is not speaking about the concept of adultery right here. All right? His instruction then to the Christian married couples is to face the difficulties and work out the differences. There's three imperatives in here. Three imperatives of faithful commitment, might I say, that are represented here, that are very strong. And these are the imperatives. Let not the wife depart. One imperative. It's understood you statement. He says, Be reconciled. That's another strong statement of commitment. And he says, Let not the husband put away. He kind of covers all the bases. Let not the wife depart. Don't let her go and flee away. Don't let her give up. But also, don't let the husband put away. Don't let him be doing the putting away and just be reconciled. In other words, the apostle is not the least bit sympathetic. Uh, 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 The Apostle Paul, more importantly God, and I'm trying to tread safely here, but again, I'm just going to the Word here, is not being sympathetic toward just the idea of irreconcilable differences between the married couples for the dissolution of a marriage. Again, the Pharisees asked Jesus this question in Matthew 19.3, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And Jesus' reply to that was that two become one flesh. He said, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so Jesus, again, he's underscoring the commitment that marriage is based upon. And then the following verses flow from this, verses 7 through 8, Brother Brother Zach, verses 7 through 8 of Matthew 19, they say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? question he saith unto them Moses because of the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives but from the beginning let's go back to the origin the garden let's go back from the very beginning yeah there's a lot of things that have kind of shoved that way and this way from the very beginning but he says from the beginning it was not so it was not so Moses gave a ride in a divorce Divorcement. Moses suffered, or if you will, the word suffered actually means allowed. Moses allowed them to divorce. But Jesus is wanting to insist. He says, if you really want to know the whole complete design from the beginning, he says it was not so. In the beginning, with the original design of marriage, it did not allow for such a bill of divorcement from the beginning. That was the Garden of Eden. That was the paradise state. That was the absent divorce state in the beginning. As a matter of fact, God spoke through the prophet Malachi. And again, folks, please, I understand there's a lot of different issues that set before me, but please don't get offended at me. I'm just trying to... I'm trying to keep anybody from walking a road that some of us or others may have walked, all right? That's what we're trying to do here. And so the Bible says even through God spoke through the prophet Malachi, and he said, and you will note the Scripture, he said very plainly in the Scripture that he hated divorce. An overview or a background of the setting here in Malachi, it's this. There there was only about 50,000 exiles that returned to Judah. From Babylon after Babylon captivity, and after being back in the land of Palestine for only for only about a century, the the the, the ritual of the Jews' religious routine. Uh, led to half-heartedness toward God they were not as dedicated in the religion toward God and their great love for God and so with that there was a widespread departure from the law and the laws of God by both the people and the priests according to the scripture and so Malachi comes on the scene during this time people are departing from the word priest and people depart from their dedication to God and Malachi stands up and he is rebuking uh, these abuses that they are taking concerning God's law and he's forcefully indicted the people and he's calling them to a place of repentance and so later whenever Nehemiah returns from Persia around the second time he and others are vigorously rebuked, they, he rebukes the people and the priest for these abuses in the temple, for the abuses in the priesthood, for the violation of not keeping the Sabbath day of rest because that's what got them in Babylon to begin with and for another thing that he rebuked them for, for the unlawful divorce of their Jewish wives so they could marry Gentile women Alright? Because that's what was taking place. So this is the context of all that. They're they're departing. Priests and people are departing. Some of them are just divorcing their Jewish wives so that they can take Gentile women. That's not a reason to get a divorce. (laughs) And leading up to these verses, that's what's all said. Malachi 2 verses 14 through 16. Leading up to this he says, Judah hath profaned and hath married the daughter of a strange God. And verse 14 says these words, yet Malachi, yeah, thank you, Brother Zach. Yet ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. In other words, God was a witness between them, the wife of their youth, between the man and the woman. He was a witness between their covenant of marriage. Well, you said a couple of weeks ago, when we have a marriage? It's not just everybody that's here. God should be the first on your guest list. And whenever you're getting joined together, God is witnessing that. And that's why he's saying here, God was a witness of your union. God was a witness of that man and that woman coming together in the covenant of marriage. The, the wife of their youth. The wife of their youth was their Jewish wife. The wife of their youth. This this marriage was a Jew male and a Jew female that was married in the sight of God. God was a witness to that. And God was still a witness in their marriage. And he says, but though, he says, whom you have dealt treacherously with this wife of your youth. You've dealt treacherously with her. Treacherously basically means you've dealt unfaithfully with her. You dealt with her as one who does not honor uh, an agreement the agreement of your marriage (sighs) whenever we look at this 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 scripture is using the word treacherously as an adverb but the verb form of this same word the word treacherous is used to denote unfaithfulness in several different relationships it is used in connection with unfaithfulness then in marriage God denotes that though this man has been unfaithful, that she, his wife, is still his companion and wife of the covenant of the marriage. In verse 15, he says, the question, and did not he make one? Who's he speaking about? God. Did not God make you all one? Did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit and wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Again, he is emphasizing this oneness of the flesh, this marriage, this two becoming one. None should be unfaithful in their commitments in their marriage. Now look at verse 16. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. That's divorce. That he hateth putting away. For one cover of violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. God says he hates putting away. He hates divorce. And it's more than just the divorce itself. There's a lot of peripheral things that happen with divorce. If there's kids involved, there's to the fallout out with that. Amen. It's not just a pebble landing in the water and not causing any ripples. It's a pebble landing in the water and there's ripples that go far out reaching. So it's not just the lone act, but it's those that precipitate as a result of the lone act. God's serious. What's that mean to me? God's very serious about this thing called marriage. He's very serious about this thing called marriage, about it lasting, about being a covenant between one man and one woman, and about building on that and keeping our commitment. Now, Frequently, frequently, married partners find that after a few years, sometimes even after maybe a few months, that they have a tendency to drift apart. Maybe that 18-month dopamine thing is out. The objectivity is back. And life happens. The husband has a job. Maybe he's consumed with his job, job job-related responsibilities. His wife may feel overwhelmed with now all these household chores. Maybe she did chores at home growing up, but now it's all on her. Or maybe perhaps she even works a job as well and is trying to do household chores and keep a home. And feeling overwhelmed with all these duties, job-related responsibilities, and so there's a drifting apart because, you know, now they come home tired and now, now they got all these different responsibilities and then you interject kids into the scenario and you got even more responsibilities. There's, there's another one that's going to get the house dirty and dirty dishes and, and you got to cater and tend and all this stuff to them and so you got all this other stuff that's buying for your attention, buying for your time buying for your love and in all that you still got to maintain the love with your spouse you still got to be committed you got to divide, you do, you got to divide yourself up it's not like when the child comes along then you just give all you commit to it I know early on it seems like we give them greater portion and I think that's somewhat required but you know what, God's given us men a good sense Understanding the responsibility and the work required that doesn't mean that he gets put on the shelf but still yet there's a lot of things there and so there seems to be this drift that happens but that drift that sometimes happens then causes some people just want to throw in the towel well where's the commitment in that where's the commitment in that keep the marriage alive you got to pay attention to one another when there's not money to pay the bills when there is When you don't have any children, whenever you got five. Perhaps we could learn from the sea otters. One fact about sea otters is this, is that they hold hands when they sleep so they don't drift away from each other. Perhaps we could learn from the sea otters. What are you saying? You're saying we should hold hands at night as we go to sleep? Well, it might not be bad for some of us. Years ago, they didn't make beds like they do now. Now they're huge, and you can get lost from each other just in bed. If you have a problem in your marriage, I'm telling you, you need to go sell your king-size bed and go back to a twin. Whenever we first got married, we had a day bed. That's all we had. And we slept on that day bed, and we slept there. And whenever it was time to rotate during the night, you were two rotisserie chickens right by each other. When one turned, you turned as well we get lost on our own bed sometimes Now, so maybe some of us do just need to hold hands during the night but what I think I'm trying to get is this: perhaps those moments when we are asleep or it seems to be dormant in our relationships we should hold each other's hands so that we don't drift away during those hard times hold each other's hands whenever all those other things are vying for our attention and our time so that we don't drift away From one another, and then get you a twin bed. <laughs> if you'll stand with me today. No, we'll close. Because there are times, you know. You you know there is no, there is not anything like balance is not like a location or, or, or and I've said this before, but balance is not like a location that you just achieve and boom, there it is. Particularly in marriage. It's not like, you know, you you got the, the compassion and the passion and you got all this just balance just right. We reached it, ah, there we are. No. and uh, I've always said this because sometimes I think we get an idea, no, balance is just like a location, it's a state that you reach and then once you've touched it, you got it. Because whenever I see that guy on that tight wire that's walking and it's balanced up there but you know how he's balanced? He's constantly shifting. Shifting a little weight here shifting a little weight there. That's the only way balance can be maintained. It's never a state that's just reached. You're constantly shifting. I need to show a little bit more love today. A little more compassion here. A little bit more physically involved here. You're just constantly constantly shifting and there's sometimes we become asleep and being able to feed the emotions of our wives men (laughs) it's those times that you gotta keep hands together and stay sure to your commitments amen stay sure to your commitments we bow our heads in this place today father I come before. thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC again that's FACMC